0: Hello, and welcome to this FRDH podcast. I'm Michael Goldfarb. Reality is not something we think about too much. It just is what we live in, right? But in recent history, what is real, what is not, has become central to our political life. Fifteen years ago, Karl Rove allegedly said of America as he defined it, meaning the Republican factions America, We're an empire now, and when we act, we create our own reality. And while you're studying that reality, judiciously as you will, we'll act again. Later, he denied saying those words. Maybe he did, maybe he didn't. What is reality anyway? In Donald Trump's America and Brexit Britain, it's hard to tell no nation's history has been more misshaped by the question of what is real than Russia. And it is no surprise that in the present, it is Russia that is deeply affecting how people perceive reality in the U.S. and the U.K. Luke Harding, former Moscow correspondent of The Guardian and author of Collusion, Secret Meetings, Dirty Money, and How Russia Helped Donald Trump Win, probably knows as much about this dynamic as any journalist. I stopped by the Guardian's offices here in London to talk with Luke Harding, and I started by asking him about how Russians deal with the question, what is real?
1: What was interesting about being in in, in Moscow, where I was the Guardian correspondent from 2007 until I was kicked out four years later, was was the, the gap between... What was real, people's everyday experiences, what they could see happening around them in the shops and the streets, and what the government, in this case the, the Kremlin of Vladimir Putin, said was going on was uh, was bigger. The gap was bigger than in most societies. So you, you had an everyday reality of a country that was more prosperous than, than it was in Soviet times, but still, in many respects, pretty dysfunctional and in rural areas, really poor and backward and... Um, and you contrast that with the sort of shiny reality of, of Kremlin TV, which looks like Western TV, uh, has Vladimir Putin as the lead item every evening, which presents a kind of dynamic, prosperous, happy country. Now, now th- there was mismatch. There was a mismatch in Soviet times as well. Uh, and I think when uh, w- when sort of reality disappoints these kind of autocratic regimes, what you do is you reach for the propaganda dial and you turn it up. And that's what we've seen. Over the last few years, certainly Putin perfected these techniques. One of the first things he did as president was to put TV and and most media under his thumb. Uh, So controlling all flows of information, really, and kind of wiping out much of the kind of media that existed in the 1990s. Uh, And also a sort of social media group, Facebook and Twitter and so on, using paid trolls to, to try and shape the debate in Russia. And then over the last 10 years... I think what we've seen is, is, is these techniques, there's been a kind of, Putin's gone on the road, if you like. He's taking these techniques international uh, and they're now spreading. I, I mean, the kind of troll armies I came across in nascent form 10, 12 years ago, now even kind of medium rogue states like Syria uses people like that. And of course, what we've seen big time in recent years is is the what you might call the Putinization of America, where actually um, what's true, no longer matters. What what matters is what you can say that's kind of emotionally resonant, and you can lie as Donald Trump does every day, and there is no political price. and And what you are left with is is not an agreed version of reality that is the the basis, the foundation for civilized discourse, for for jurisprudence, for for criminal prosecution. What you are left with is spectacle, a- and you can see a slow. I-, I hate to say inexorable, but that's how it feels at the moment. Slide towards a form of 21st century fascism.
0: But what's interesting to me is, you know, when Vladimir Putin was just a very, very disappointed ex-KGB case officer in Berlin, just returned from East Berlin, lamenting the collapse of the Soviet Union, you know, in America, you had a network that had already begun to garner tens of millions of listeners of right-wing talk radio, shock jocks is what we called them, and then Fox News was set up. And in a sense, you wrote a book called Collusion, but Americans were already pretty well softened up and were colluding, at least a considerable minority of them, were colluding in their own propagandization.
1: Yeah, uh, I mean, I think that I mean, Anas- it's, not, it's not Putin that, that invented n- this. No, no, no. I mean, I think that analysis is absolutely correct, and it's it's not that that Putin is 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 Batman in a cave, uh, flicking little red switches and fermenting, uh, you know, havoc uh, uh, around the world. What, what he's very adroit at, and what the KGB was doing in 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 the times of the USSR, was seeking to subvert and undermine Western democracy. Now, back then, it was harder but they were pretty good at uh, sort of propaganda, at least they came out with a a few things that sort of worked, various things that didn't work. For example, portraying Ronald Reagan as a warmonger in the 1980s. That was one of the kind of KGB's goals. Now, Now, maybe he was a warmonger, but that didn't really kind of stick domestically. But what we've seen... I think, is that these fissures, these, the problems in American society, whether they're ethnic or political or ideological or socio-religious, I mean, they're all there. But what Putin has been able to do very cleverly is to instrumentalize them. And the great, one of the great ironies of this story is that Putin is a guy who doesn't use the internet he doesn't send email. He doesn't use it. And for a very long time, he thought it was a great CIA invention designed. Do, do you know to, why? Because he thought it was a CIA? Yeah, he thought it was a CIA invention uh, designed to kind of st- to, to to subvert Russia. And and of course, people around him have told him, look, Vladimir Vladimirovich, actually, that, that's not the case. We can actually use this weapon designed by the CIA uh, against the CIA and against American intelligence and so on. And, and of course, sure, there is nothing new about lying. People, I'm sure, told lies, 15,000 15, BC, um, I mean H- Hitler, read my camp. I mean cl- clearly he thought quite extensively about lying, and the whole twentieth century is is full of these sort of n- nativist populist uh, movements. But but what the twenty first century m- makes easy is the kind of multiplication effect, and and the, the fact that via Twitter, via Facebook, via social media, you can you can micro target huge communities of millions and millions of people. And Trump, for all his abysmalness is a great communicator. I mean, he really can with his tweets. I mean, how, how he can get 90% of the Republican Party to approve the idea of putting kids in cages is beyond me, but, but somehow through the magic of social media and through the fact that he, he is interested in kind of going for an emotional response. So P- Putin basically realized this a bit quicker than everybody else, or the people around him did, and certainly it played a role in helping Donald Trump in 2016 and pushing him into the White House. Yeah. How long did you live? In Russia? Well, I, I lasted four years and one month. Okay. And while you were there,
0: in talking to people, did you ever have conversations with maybe slightly older Russians who had lived through the Soviet times about the phenomenon of state propaganda and a state-created reality that was at variance to what they knew the situation was and a state... Repression apparatus, that meant they had to be very careful about who they spoke to to say. This is real. This isn't real.
1: Yeah. Well, I, I mean, the, the, I mean, that's a really interesting question. And and just to sort of go big a, a little bit, I mean, the, there is a great Soviet tradition of relativism, and and. Lying goes back a long way. I mean, you just have to think of the government inspector. You have to think of Gogol, Dead Souls. There's been lying forever in a country that missed out on the Renaissance because there was a kind of Mongol carnate. So they didn't have that experience. And then if you fast forward to the kind of Soviet time, you, you had... Lenin saying that the truth in a Western sense is unimportant and is subordinate to the class struggle. So lying in a way was hardwired into official ideology. What what was true? Factuality was irrelevant. It was to do with sort of class relations. And then by the late Soviet Union, you had a a sort of situation where people had this personal duality. So officially they were loyal, whether it's in, in class or at work, to the Soviet Union, to Lenin and so on, and privately in their kitchens that they were not. It was a sort of a a game. It was part mutual survival strategy, part sort of dual identity, a sort of a kind of state identity and a kind of personal identity. And so that means that when you get to the the rather thuggish 21st century kleptocracy of, of Vladimir Putin, he, he is extremely adroit at working on these traditions. And they're very, I mean, Russia doesn't really make anything. It, does, it exports oil and gas, but it has come up with no great inventions. But when it comes to kind of propaganda, which still works, by the way, they're very, very good. You know, It's
0: interesting. I was in Iraq for the first phase of the Iraq war in northern Iraq as an unembedded reporter. And on the day Saddam Hussein's regime collapsed in Mosul, there was hardly a battle. I mean, they just simply disappeared. In yeah, the I, I was there too. Yeah, the, yeah, oh, yeah, I was there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, you know, I, I was in Mosul with my translator, who was a political refugee living in Kurdistan, and he went back to his house, to his old block. And... I will never forget this. The sun was glorious. It was spring. It was fabulous. And in the middle of this argument, well, it seemed like an argument. It was Liberation Day with a bunch of old neighbors, many of whom were professors at the University of Mosul. He broke away and said, they don't believe this is real. I said, what do you mean? He said, they think this is somehow a trick that Saddam is playing on them and that I'm here and I'm going to draw them out. And then they're all going to go to prison. That is a lesson about the depths and mutability of human psychology when it comes to what's real. I mean, here was a guy who'd been arrested and tortured a couple of times. They knew that he had fled into internal exile. And yet there he was, and they still wouldn't believe. The city was empty. It was falling apart. And they still wouldn't believe.
1: Yeah. uh, I mean, that's a really... um striking example and a question i mean ultimately it's an epistemological question about how you construct reality about consciousness and selfhood things like that and and this is also troubling is is that putin's view is that factuality is for losers that that actually it's it's an enemy of of sovereignty and i remember talking to chatting to um a journalist colleague who went to go and interview Margarita Simonyan, who's the head of Russia today, which is that their rather tacky export version of Russian propaganda in English, and she looked at him as if he was some kind of simpleton mode when they were discussing this, and said, "She said there is no such thing as truth. There is only narrative. In other words, essentially, in a, in our benighted times, it's all about storytelling. And if you tell a story, for example, over the over what happened in Ukraine, and you say." Actually, what happened in Ukraine was a bunch of fascists back the, by back the CIA seized power and evicted the legitimately elected ruler and then began persecuting and crucifying ethnic Russians. You think, oh, my God, that's terrible. Actually, that isn't what happened. What What happened was there was a heterodox revolt against an extremely greedy uh, kleptocrat who just sold out his country to, to, to Moscow and then who scarpered in a helicopter. Um, but that's quite an effective, potent story, especially for people who grew up in the Soviet Union. And that was the story that, that Russian state TV and RT were telling and are still telling. It's all about storytelling. And what we're seeing, uh, certainly the Russians are good at it, and Donald Trump is is doing it as well, is an attempt to essentially sovereignize reality, make reality what the state says it is or what, what a state leader says it is. Uh, and I, I think this is kind of spookily, Dangerous times, which is w- why I think people like us, investigative journalists and, and, and writers and storytellers and, and people who read books or listen to podcasts, have almost a sort of civic obligation to stick with the facts and to be empirical and to defend, I guess, the Enlightenment.
0: Yes, it's interesting you bring up the the Ukraine example, because that government that was chased out of office by terrible Ukrainian nationalist was actually being represented in Washington by Paul Manafort, wasn't it?
1: Well, uh, Paul Manafort, I mean, poor old Paul, a uh, nice guy, I mean, okay, he worked for some bad people, African dictators, Asian dictators, Viktor Yanukovych in Ukraine, okay, so maybe he made $75 million and didn't declare it to the IRS. But hey, now he's in jail, and and when the hell is he ever getting out? Maybe he's in jail forever now, unless his friend Donald comes in on a magic carpet waving a presidential pardon, in which case Paul will be okay.
0: Yeah, but there's jails and jails. He's not in Gen Pop, but Marion in Illinois, he's in some country club somewhere in the suburbs of Washington, I think.
1: Well, well, I mean, this is part of my um, book, is that if you just look at the people who were in Trump's cabinet to begin with, and indeed many of them are still there, they all have this incredible connection with Russia. I mean, it's it's extraordinary. I mean, it's it's beyond coincidence. I mean, I write, it's it's almost as if Putin had picked the cabinet because you had early on a national security advisor, Michael Flynn, who who had been around the main military spy base in Moscow. No other American had ever done that. And they let him in. You, you have um wilbur ross doing business deals with putin's son-in-law you have paul manafort who, who's got impeccable connections with with russian and, and ukrainian oligarchs and turns out to be in jail it is extraordinary and I, I wrote that book because i wanted to collusion collusion i wanted to to like practically everyone else on, on the planet i was struck by trump's weird inexplicable kind of subservience to to Putin from very early on, from late 2015, early 2016, in in, in a way which was atypical for a Republican candidate and could not be explained and still has not been fully explained. But the problem, of course, for
0: epistemologically-based thinking is that the time it takes to pull together the proof, not, not proof, just the set of facts from which you can build a logical case of collusion, for example, it, it takes years, whereas they can pump things out on a regular basis. There, that is a, an imbalance in reality.
1: Well, 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 right. I mean, I mean, the liar has gone around the global bo- block while the truth is still trying to get its first sock on. I mean, that that's, obviously the case. But I, I don't think that means that we should give up. And we don't know how the story is going to end. I mean, we all sort of, we. I say we, or some people hope that trump at some point there will be a reckoning and these lies will fall on him that may not be the case i mean maybe he can be the first president who survives all this lies his way out lies his way to a second term we just don't know but i I think it behoves us to to keep going and to talk about it to write about it and to to investigate i started off with a few sources on the story and i have a lot of sources but I'm not a nation-state. I mean, I haven't got the signals intelligence that Robert Mueller has, but but my suspicion is that Mueller has a lot of material, including material uh, about collusion, and he is waiting for his moment. I just hope he doesn't wait too long.
0: I was talking earlier about the fact that America had been softened up like a boxer taking a lot of body shots, and so was ready for the shot to the chin that came from Russia. I mean, a fair number of Americans colluded. In their own self-propagandization, and I, I wonder if that's just something that is part of human instinct, and you know has its own historical roots that need to be watched out for.
1: Yeah, uh, it's a really good point. I agree with that. I mean, we tend to think about fascism as a bunch of sort of slightly ridiculous Germans uh, with funny facial hair in brown shirts marching around on a kind of black and white sort of freeze frame. But but there's clearly something about fascism or, or these kind of proclivities, uh, w- which is, is part of the kind of part of human national experience. And it can come back at any moment. And clearly, that is what is happening now, whether you look at America or indeed at Italy or in, indeed at numerous other places. I mean, you sort of think about, oh, where can I go to avoid the nasty populist sentiments? The answer is nowhere. <laughs> there is nowhere you can go because this is a particular moment. Um, driven by austerity, driven by frustration with kind of conventional politics, driven with all sorts of things. And we seem to have unlearned the lessons of the post-war era, uh, of our sort of grandparents' generation. We've forgotten why we set up the UN, why we believed in international law, why we agreed that we wouldn't go around invading other countries. We are now in this kind of, I would say, rather Hobbesian world, with Donald Trump and Putin sort of, pushing from from both ends, and, and in my view, actually colluding. So I think we're, we're in a dangerous place, but I'm also optimistic that, that all is not lost. Thank you. Thank you.
0: And that's all for this FRDH podcast. If you've made it this far, please share this conversation with friends and go to the website, www.goldfarbpod.com, where you can hear lots more... And you can make a donation to keep these podcasts coming. Thanks.